Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. A group of high school students. High school students. Elizabeth and high school students started a project to research a string of unsolved murders. Their research led to the identification of the killer. Investigators now have an answer to a 34-year-old question. Once you start getting a few tips or a few leads or a few identifications, then the cold case isn't so cold anymore. There's a pretty good chance he's still alive. Everything that the students predicted through their profile turned out to be accurate. Redhead killer profile, male, Caucasian, 5'9 to 6'2, 180 to 270 pounds, unstable home, absent father and a domineering mother, right-handed, IQ above 100, most likely heterosexual. There is no profile of this killer except for the ones the students created. Just because some of these women no longer have people to speak for them does not mean that they deserve to not be spoken for. What if this guy's still alive? Like, what if he comes after us? I said, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes. This is Murder 101, Season 1, Episode 3, Start Spreading the News. I'm Jeff Shane, a television and podcast producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Courtney Armstrong, and Andrew Arno. As the semester drew to a close, high school teacher Alex Campbell discusses what the class was feeling. I think that some people feel that helping the police or solving crimes is something that we pay the professionals to do. But what I wanted to encourage the students to understand was that everybody has an obligation to their community and everybody can help in some way. Police have a hard time solving crimes if there's no witnesses. Just because they weren't adults or they weren't police officers, I want them to still understand that they could do great work on their own. The semester was coming to a close. It was May. Temperature was warming up. We just had a couple of weeks left in school. We led into the press conference. There had only been that one victim identified, Lisa Nichols, and it had been over 30 years since she had been identified. So at this point, we have two very good profiles. We have the offender profile, the criminal profile, and then we also have the victim profile. And as far as we know, nobody else has them. 
So our goal was just to really get this information out to everyone, you know, and as, as big a way as possible. Student Will Bowers remembers what it was like at school. In the school, I mean, it was like, it was unreal. Like, everybody was shocked and surprised. Like, around East Tennessee, I mean, you don't hear, like, high schools doing something like this. I want other students to know that they can do anything they set their mind to. Isn't The world isn't just limited to, like, you're a teenager, so you have work. If you work, yes, work in school, and that's it. You can't go as far as you want to. You can go. You can do anything in life. Like, don't let no one stop you. There's hateful people. There's hateful teachers, even. But keep going, no matter what. The plan for the press conference was for the students to present their findings in a big way. A few of the students from the class were selected to present the information they uncovered and its significance. One of them was Junior Will Bowers. Yeah, I, I was shocked that Mr. Campbell picked me. I mean, I, I'm okay speaking outside. I mean, I usually done like the pep rallies at the high school, but like that, this was the first time like I really felt like super nervous or something. And I guess Mr. Campbell, since he's seen me do the pep rallies, and he's seen me done these little things, especially where I play sports and stuff like that, he knew that I was capable of doing it, which I never thought I would be. We basically made sure that I uh, spoke correctly, uh, made sure all my notes were on point, made sure that I wasn't saying anything that uh, that was false or anything like that. It was a process uh, to get to where I was uh, in front of the uh, microphone that day. Young people have a lot of energy and they also have a lot of passion. If you can help kind of focus that and find something they're passionate about and let them use the energy, they will do more than you ever expected they could. So what most people don't know is that this project actually started with students getting curious about what learning could look like and ended with students digging into something really big and bold and compelling that had a life way beyond the confines of one class. Before we hear about the press conference, we think it's important for you to understand the origins of the original assignment. The project actually stemmed from a grant that the students had won from a company called XQ Institute. Founded in 2015, XQ Institute is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to improving schools across the country. I'm Carrie Schneider. I'm the head of editorial at XQ Institute and we're a nonprofit that's dedicated to rethinking high school. If you stop for a second and think back to your high school experience and like what things stood out to you as the moments that were, even if it was like one day or one lesson or one thing in your high school and you were like, oh, that was actually fun to me, taking that one thing that you can remember about high school and making all of high school feel like that. It doesn't have to be a boring, tedious march through, like learn this, learn that, take the test, move on, go to the next thing. The way I met Mr. Campbell and all the teachers and students there was when they entered XQ's National Super School Challenge. So way back in 2015, 2016, there was a, an open call to the country to come together and design the high school of the future. They didn't win the full grant and the full support for building a whole new school. They did win an XQ Student Leadership Award. So they got a smaller grant and scholarships for the kids that were involved and then support to turn their initial ideas into a wider program. When working with XQ Institute, Mr. Campbell did something unique. 
he turned to his students for guidance. So Mr. Campbell presented to his students, like, look, guys, if we're going to really dig into this project stuff, what kinds of things are you interested in? And true crime, things in our own community, that stood out as something that the kids were interested in. He was like, cool, true crime, let's go. Let's find some unsolved mysteries. Carrie remembers the first time she heard about the project. So the first time I heard about this project was actually at an education conference. Mr. Campbell was hosting a session on projects for teachers and how to really connect with your students in this way. And he was in a room of probably 40 or 50 teachers from across the country, and I was just kind of sitting and listening in. And he just sort of dropped on the room, oh, and my students are actually solving a murder right now. We're, you know, we're working on, and you could just see people in the room go, ah, you could, you could physically observe teachers going, wait a minute, what? There were definitely skeptics. So he really stood up and said, you know, just think about how much their minds are changing and what they're learning about the world and what this means for thinking about people differently and what we're learning about victims' rights and what we're learning about justice and what we're learning about relationships and families and gender. The skeptics were kind of like, you know, I can't think of another example of a way kids can really get that much. So it's hard to argue with it when you see just how much they learn and how much they take away from it. When she heard about the press conference, Carrie knew it was a big deal. I remember that Mr. Campbell sent me an email letting me know that the press conference was happening and uh, telling me, you know, creating a little FOMO, like, you're not going to be here. You're going to have to wait until you find out the big news like everyone else. And he was so proud of his students and really excited to share the milestones that they were announcing in the press conference. That press conference represented a big moment for realizing the value of that project and the possibility of what kids can do. It's real now because I think it was a big transition from a class project to something they were ready to really put it out in the world. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Murder 101. On May 15th, 2018, the big moment finally arrived. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is my privilege and honor to welcome you to our press conference. My name is William Bowers, and I'm a part of Mr. Campbell's sociology class. Many of you today are asking the same question. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why do we even care about this? Well, it starts 37 years ago when a man murdered an unknown woman and laid her body beside an interstate. Four years later, five more women shared the same fate. Those women would be found in the long interstates and highways across multiple states. At the time of their death, the women were founded with reddish hair. Law enforcement at the time couldn't solve the murders due to the women never being identified and their transient lifestyles. The cases became cold for over 35 years until a few people asked why hasn't the murderer and the women Standing in front of six images of the Bible Belt Stranglers' victims, Junior Will Bowers spoke to roughly 60 people, including members of law enforcement, the press, and locals in the community. We spent months learning about the red-headed murders. We learned what a serial killer is. We looked into the lives of some of the most infamous serial killers like Ted Bundy and Richard Chase. With the information provided and what we have learned, we were able to create an M.O., a signature, and the profile for the murderer. Without the hard work, grit, and determination by the students, we would never have this press conference today. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, human progress is either 
is neither automatic nor inedible. Every step towards the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless distortions and passionate concerns of dedicated individuals. The men and women that you see here today are dedicated to these cases. The tireless work and effort by these individuals are the reason why these cases have been brought back. Shane Waters also spoke. Out of the six victims that we believe could be a part of the redhead murders, all but one remain unidentified people. That's right. After more than 30 years, only one of these victims has a name. I felt defeated. I felt like I had no choice but to put the case down and move on to something easier. I can remember sitting at my computer about to drag this file on my desktop titled Redheads to the trash when I realized that this is the exact thing that is preventing this killer from being caught. More than that, I knew that this is what the killer assumed would happen each time he targeted a new victim. I believe he assumed that society wouldn't care that these women were gone. After all, if there is no family to come forward to fight for them, surely it will not be a story worth telling. Today I stand here, along with a high school sociology class, to remind the world of these six women. Today we are their family. If the coward responsible for these murders is watching, I have a message for you. We will not stop. We will not forget. Senior Mason Peterson made an impassioned plea to the public. So, we need the public's help. We need you to be aware of this case. We need you to share this case around with any info that we are giving you or what you already know. We, we need you to find people that may know something we don't. Then the people with this information should contact the police. There's no doubt that someone saw something and thought it was probably nothing or it's not that important. It could be something, whether big or small, it could lead to a big break. We want to help remember and identify the victims because it helps the police find what correlations our victims have with our perpetrator and bring him closer to justice. We also want to help the police find the Bible Belt Strangler so he can be held accountable for his actions. Finally, Mr. Campbell spoke. During the course of this semester, uh, the students have worked with a professional profiler and members of the law enforcement community, and these experts explained to us that if you have the same MO and the same offender signature, in the same geographical area, in the same period of time, then it's almost assuredly the same person responsible. So as a class, we began to look at each of the roughly dozen cases that are oftentimes uh, referred to as the redhead murders that took place from 1978 until 2001. But there were six of these murders that stood out because they were so similar. So our students began to focus on these cases. These murders occurred between 1980 and 85, and the bodies were discovered between 1983 and 85. So we knew that we had six murders occurring in the same time period. So then we looked at geographic location, and we found the same six murders, three in Tennessee, Campbell, Cheatham, and Greene County, plus one in Wetzel County, West Virginia, with one just across the border in Knox County, Kentucky, and finally another one uh, just across the border in West Memphis, Arkansas. They were all linked because of not just geographic proximity, but because they were connected by highways and interstates along the Knoxville-Nashville corridor. After concluding that we had the same location, same time period, same MO, and same signature, we enlisted the help of professionals in evaluating our work. We consulted, and they agreed with us, 
that these six murders are most likely the work of one person. So since these murders happened around Tennessee, in what is oftentimes referred to as the Bible Belt, and most of the victims were strangled or suffocated, we have decided to name this serial killer the Bible Belt Strangler. Today we're making these documents publicly available to the media and the public, including the eight-page psychological profile. Sadly, murder has been around as long as humanity. People think they can commit such acts and get away from the prying eyes of public and they'll never be seen. They'll think there'll be no witnesses. They think they're too good at their craft. They think they're too smart. But often, when some time has passed, they feel like they're never going to be caught. But the monster we now seek took the lives of six women that we feel he intentionally targeted because they were out on their own alone with no family and no friends. Their lives were most likely stolen from them in the dark back parking lots of truck stops and rest areas and then dumped along lonely highways at night where he thought no one would see him. And he's eluded justice for almost 40 years. But the Bible Belt Strangler's wrong. He made a mistake. Somebody saw something. Somebody's heard something. The blood of these six women that was spilled into the overgrown hedges of our nation's highways and interstates has gone unnoticed for way too long. And today we are here to recognize these voices and give them justice for which they're still crying out. We want the media to hear their cry as well. So the people out there with the information that law enforcement needs to identify these victims and solve these crimes can come forward. So Bible Belt Strangler, we know you're out there. We know that somebody has information to help find you and hold you accountable. And after today, everyone knows that we're looking for you. And today, everyone knows that we are our sister's keepers because we're like family. And this time, no matter how hard you squeeze your evil hands, you will never be able to silence their cries. Now, years later, Mr. Campbell reflects on the press conference and its impact on not just the students, but the case as a whole. Right before Will and some different ones stepped to the microphone, I said, I just want you to know, if the Bible Belt Strangler is still alive, he's probably watching right now. Now, go out there and do the press conference. And uh, they looked at me like, oh, that was terrible. Why did you do that? But really, I, when I stepped to the microphone, I spoke to the Bible Belt Strangler. I was full of so much emotion, and I didn't think it would be that way. You know, Again, I'm removed from these murders and these cases, and I didn't know them. And, but I almost started crying. I could just feel the emotion just filling me. And, you know, to, to realize that there are people out there and they deserve to be brought to justice and that I could literally be speaking to them. They could be watching me on the live stream. It was kind of surreal experience that really made me more emotional than I thought I would be. I was worried about the students. You know, they're young, they're used to speaking in public, but I probably should have been worried about myself. I think the closer they got into the case and looking at the case, they realized that they might actually be able to change something. Um, I think especially young people today feel like if they do work, they want something to come out of it. And I believe that this press conference made them feel like that in the future something good could come from their work. That press conference really put the kids out there. It wasn't adults speaking with kids in the background, but it was really representative of, a, of the kind of belief that Mr. Campbell has in his students and Elizabethton has in their high school and the belief that XQ has in the potential of young people and the potential of educators to create these environments for students. I think for 
Mr. Campbell and for those kids, it was a moment of real vulnerability and a moment to really put themselves out there in a way to say they believed in what they had done and they believed in the power of their research and the power of their position and the power of their findings. And for us, that was a that was a big moment for us at XQ to go, yes, this is what this is what we mean. This is what rethinking high school looks like. This is exactly what young people can do. Now let's make sure it's not just one class in one high school in one town in Tennessee, but it's happening for kids everywhere. You can find more about XQ Institute at XQ America across all socials. All these TV stations are running this story and it got a lot of attention. Matter of fact, it got so much attention it went national. We got in Oxygen, True Crime Today, like all these, these people were covering it. A group of Elizabethan high school students started a project to research a string of unsolved murders from 30 years ago. For three decades, the mystery had remained unsolved. Six redheaded women strangled and left on the side of a highway. Only one victim's name was even known. That's when a group of Elizabethan high school students started their research. A group of high school student detectives are investigating a series of unsolved killings. Students from Elizabethton High School presented their research on what is known as the Redhead Murders. Over the last semester, the students have studied several cold cases spanning the South. The cases all have several things connecting them, including the victim's hair color. Students created a profile of the suspected killer and named him the Bible Belt Strangler. Students in Elizabethton had a class where they investigated these murders. I think this media attention uh, really did a lot to bring you know, eyes back to the case and help, you know, make the cases not so cold. So what happened was the students had tried to bring the case back up. They had this media blitz. It had been featured all over the nation. They have a name for the killer. They have a way to, to separate these six out from the rest of the, the victims. People start calling the TBI and they start calling the local police agencies and they start saying, well, you know, what does this mean? Are, are we looking at other cases? Are these related to any others? Could she have been killed, you know, by the same person as somebody else? And I think it just, it just really got a media firestorm really going and it brought up a lot of attention back to these cases. Once you start getting a few tips or a few leads, or you know, a few identifications, then the cold case isn't so cold anymore. There's a huge true crime, whatever you call them, like citizen sleuth kind of community out there. They, and, and so what happened was there was a lady who spent a lot of time on these kind of missing persons websites and Jane Doe kind of websites. So she heard the podcast that the students were featured on and she thought, huh, Here's six victims, here's six bodies, and they look like this. They're this age, they're this weight, this this height, whatever. And then she was also looking at these missing person websites. And she noticed that a missing person, she felt, matched up with this victim. It was shortly after they disappeared. So she actually said, I think that this missing person may be your Jane Doe, the Campbell County Jane Doe. And that tip was submitted to the TBI, and pretty soon the TBI was traveling uh, to Indiana to find her relatives and take DNA swabs. And sure enough, it did turn out to be that missing person.
let's stop here for another quick break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Murder 101. A woman who thinks Jane Doe is her mother is sharing her story, hoping it'll give identity to the woman left dead inside of a discarded fridge. Many believe the person who killed the Jane Doe also killed six other red-headed women. All but one of those are also unidentified. He's called the Bible Belt Strangler, and he's never been caught. When I saw the headline that said, 
you know, one of Redhead Murder's uh, victims identified, that's when it got really intense. The Campbell County Jane Doe has now been identified as Tina Marie McKinney. Like McKinney, four of the other five victims were Jane Doe's. The autopsy suggested that she was strangled. I want you all to know this is Tina laying here. And she does matter, and she did love her, and she didn't abandon her. And she does have a family. She had us. <laughs> Tina always had me, and he took her from me. Shane Waters ended up speaking to Tina's sister, Liza Plummer. She was still that quiet little kid that sat in that corner. And nice as can be, she was naive. Our life was hell at home. The family inquired about Farmer. They were told that she didn't want to come back with them and she had left with a trucker said to be headed to Kentucky. The family did not believe that story. Her family reported her missing to the authorities at this time. Yet, authorities in Indiana did not enter her into national databases. The state did not have a law, common to many other states, requiring law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into this database. Tina's sister, Liza, told the story the last time she saw Tina. Tina was 19, I was turning 18. And that's when her and dad got into it. And my dad, he was just, I'll be honest, a mean ass. That's just how he was. And Tina cried, I went inside, me and dad had some words. And we went out into the van and slept in Scott's van. That was my boyfriend then. And I woke up the next morning, Tina left me a note saying she didn't want to make trouble between me and Dad, and she just left. So I'm fearing that she probably went across the street, used the phone booth, and called someone to come and get her. Liza recalls realizing that something truly bad had happened to her sister, Tina. I used to always tell her, I said, now the minute Dad passed on, I know it's a terrible thing to say. The minute my dad left this earth, she would have came back. Yeah. And when my dad was gone and she didn't come back, I knew Tina was gone. I've been on this since, I think, 2004 hard. Really wow, hard really, on it. Yeah. I and I just yeah. get bits and pieces here and there. Wow. No one uh, from the investigation has been in touch with you to let you know anything? No, they put it underneath the rug. They put it underneath the rug. I think the most yeah. frustrating thing about this for me, though, is had the police looked into this back then, they would have heard this story, probably found her. Mm -hmm. Maybe arrested. linked it together. Yeah, they would have all linked it. Tina's neighbor at the time, a woman named Tammy, was also present and said something that couldn't be ignored. Dickie said, and Geneva, she was saying that she, that she had run off with a truck driver. He told us. To yeah, me. that he, she had run off with a truck driver. When I go by interstates, I break. When I see a truck driver, I break. Because now I know. But see, the stories are in my head. They're never going to leave my head. As you know, she mattered. She was here. She was mine. The truck driver reveal was an eerie callback to what the FBI analyst and the students had predicted. You know, these bodies are being dumped along the interstate. So my first thought to the kids was, hey, if, if I was in your shoes and I was investigating this case as a detective, my first thought would be, because these bodies are being dumped on the side of an interstate, my gut feeling and experience tells me it's a truck driver. We knew it had to be a truck driver. He's pretty stocky, you know, truck driver type. He's a truck driver. Soon, the most shocking twist would come to light. 
Good afternoon. I'm Jared Effler, the elected district attorney for Tennessee's 8th Judicial District, of which Campbell County is a part of. On January the 1st, 1985, an unidentified female body was discovered murdered along Interstate 75 in Campbell County, Tennessee. At that time, an investigation was launched by the TBI to determine two things, the identity of the unknown female and who was responsible for her death. Yesterday, the results of that investigation were presented to the Campbell County Grand Jury. The grand jury found that the unidentified body was that of Tina Marie Farmer of Marion County, Indiana. Additionally, the grand jury found that there was sufficient proof to believe that Jerry Johns of Cleveland, Tennessee caused her death. More on that next time. Murder 101 is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Alex Campbell, Courtney Armstrong, Andrew Arno, and me, Jeff Shane. Additional producing by Connor Powell and Gabriel Castillo. Editing by Jeff Twa and Davey Cooperwasser. Music by Vanacore Music. Murder 101 is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.